Awesome. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We are going to be closing out the chapter, chapter 3. And let me kind of catch you up to speed. Paul is basically thankful for the Thessalonians. He's like, you're doing well. Like they're pretty much, they're new converts somewhat. They're new to the Christian faith, but they're walking well. And Paul is just basically saying, keep on walking well, walk worthy. And that's kind of the theme that we want to end 2021 by just that idea, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling to which you're called. We want to walk well. We want to finish well. And so Paul actually has a deep love for the Thessalonians, a deep appreciation and thankfulness. And I'll kind of jump right to it. Last week, we looked at spiritual friendship because Paul's just shown us what it looks like just to love people well, what it means to just be a good spiritual friend to someone else. And Paul, in the same kind of tone, in the same thought, is basically now just he jumps into prayer for them. He's so thankful for them. In verse 9 through 13, he kind of changes his tone and just shares what he's been praying for for them. And he almost like jumps into prayer by talking to God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And I love this. Like in the moment of just celebrating these, these group of, of, of Christians, Paul just jumps into prayer. And what I want to talk about today is just simply that. I mean, really no clever title. I try to write, like, write in a bunch of different ways. The title today is simply pray. Um, I started writing down in different ways like pray like Paul or lessons from prayer. Honestly, just pray. We need, we need to pray. Uh, my, my hope from today is that we would, honestly, we've talked about this before, but we would just be a community dedicated to prayer. That we believe that anything that God's going to do is going to begin and end with prayer. That we'd be a people that says this is not an afterthought. This is not like something you do that when you really need something, but that we'd be a community marked and known by prayer. And it's really cool when you get to study something like First Thessalonians where you get insights. And like, how did Paul pray? Like, what did Paul pray for? What was his tone in his prayer? Like, what kind of spurred him on to pray? And it's really insightful. If you've ever been around an older believer or seasoned believer, I won't say older, but a seasoned believer, and you kind of just hear their prayers and you go, wow, you can tell they've been walking intimately with Jesus. You can tell there's something different and unique about the prayer life. And the book of James talks about that, right? Like the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, it reveals much. And just that idea of like, God, we get insight into just Paul's prayer life. Now, I do just want to point this out. Like we, we, we all know, we all know prayer is good. It's necessary. It's something we should do. But let's be honest, like we all struggle with this. I mean, we all get distracted. It's, it's easy to kind of know that it's helpful, but like only when I maybe really need it. Maybe we're just too busy in this season. Maybe we've made a bunch of excuses recently. And, and my hope is just to kind of get passionate and excited again about how we can commune with God through this wonderful thing called prayer. How you and I get to talk with God openly and freely, and we can come boldly into his throne of grace because of prayer. I think it's easy for us to kind of miss the point. I think we even miss who are we talking to when we're praying. Like, who are we honestly engaging with when we pray? Before we even read, I just have one quote for you guys because it's, it's too good. John Tyson, the pastor, said, unless, listen, Unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still haven't got past the word holy. Holy, holy, holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who is boring. Or it could be that you're just distracted by trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. It's crazy when you think about just the angels locked in a room you can say with God forever, and they just can't, they can't move on from that one word, that one thought, that one concept, just in awe of who he is. My, my hope is that we would not forget who we're praying to, how we can pray, how we can engage in prayer, 
kind of just be a community that says we're going to fight for this. This will not be an afterthought. I kind of mentioned this a few weeks ago, maybe months ago now, but my hope is just going into 2022 with just being a little bit just more um, particular, a little bit more um, just, just diving into prayer. I just want to make sure we're a community that prays. And so why don't we just read the text, see what Paul prays for, and then we'll pray. Um, so let's read this. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. Let's, let's read it, and then we'll pray. Verse 9, Paul says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself... And our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I want to look at some lessons from, from Paul's prayer here for the Thessalonians. So why don't we just take a second, if you guys would, um, let's just bow our head, close our eyes, take a moment. With your eyes closed, just, just kind of remind yourself of who God is, what he's done, how he's here, how he's listening, how he's in our presence. And why don't you just take a second and say, God, speak to me today, and then I'll pray. Father, we thank you that we can slow down and just talk to you. God, we thank you that you are not silent, that you, you speak to us, you have spoken to us, that God, you speak to us through your word. Lord, I ask that um, we would learn from even what Paul says here, that God, you would present us holy and blameless at your coming, Jesus, that, God, in this room, there'd be people just set apart for your work. God, that we'd have a, a group of individuals and just together a community that is dedicated to prayer. That, God, we'd be dedicated to just you. God, that we would understand that there is absolutely no one like you. And that, God, you're, you're a father who longs for his, his children just to speak to him. So, God, we just ask that you'd move, that you would speak, that we'd listen and that, God, we just become a people of prayer. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, there's a well-known story. It's debated whether or not it's true, but it's still a good story. That Alexander the Great, that famous great king during the 4th century BC, kind of at the height of his fame, the height of his glory, kind of the, the conqueror of the known world at that time, that one of his generals came to him and said, A king... You have conquered the known world. You have all the riches, all the wealth. I've served you for many years. My daughter's about to get married, and I just ask that you would just pay for her wedding, and whatever I ask, you would do. And so the way the story goes is Alexander the Great says, let it be so. Whatever it is you want or need, you can have. Go to the treasurer, make your request known, and he will give you whatever it is you ask. And so this general goes to the treasurer, and he starts collecting things, and someone need this for the wedding and this. He starts gathering more things. I need this much money. And the treasurer goes, no, there's no way. There's no way the king would do this. He is not like this. He would not do this. This is too much. You don't even know what you're asking for. And so the treasurer leaves this general, goes to Alexander the Great, and says, great king, do you realize what's happening? This man is claiming you will give him anything he asks for. I mean, this is ridiculous. There's no way you would do this. 
And the king simply just said to his treasury, he goes, whatever he asks for, give him. He goes, why? Why would you do this? He goes, because he honors me with his, with his requests. My general thinks that I am both wealthy and generous. And so do what he asks. The idea is what you and I ask for reveals a lot about ourselves and a lot about our God. You know, when you and I pray, what do we ask for? Like, do we get specific? What do we believe about God? Do we believe that God is wealthy and generous? And I'm not just talking financially here. Do we believe that we serve a generous God? Do you and I believe that we serve a God who loves us, who wants to give us what is necessary and good for us? Like, what kind of character do we think God has? My thing is, it's, it's interesting. When I, for years, I've prayed, and I feel like for years, right, it's been kind of different seasons of, like, strong prayer life, maybe, maybe not so strong prayer life. Maybe my requests have been very general. Maybe they haven't been specific. I feel like prayer is just one of those interesting things as Christians. We kind of walk through seasons where, like, we have great faith or we have very little faith. And just that thought has been kind of resonating with me of just what I pray for or how I pray or the requests I make known reveal what I believe about God. So think about it. What do you think about God? Do you think that God is a good father who loves you? Do you think that God is good and generous? You know, when you and I pray, again, how do we engage him? How do we make our requests known unto God? Like, what does that look like? You see, Paul is basically saying, I love these Thessalonians. I've been a spiritual friend to you. He goes, I just can't stop thanking God for you. He breaks out into prayer for them. And I find this just a very interesting section of scripture where we see some lessons from Paul. But here's what I want to get to, and we'll, we'll look at this and unpack this more. I honestly believe now more than ever, I feel like in my, my own personal life that what you and I need most, like what the church needs most, is people who believe that we have a good God, we seek him, we call upon him, we make our requests known to him, that you know what, the church doesn't need more money, the church doesn't necessarily need more theologians, we need people who believe in Jesus and his word and are giving ourselves over to prayer, meaning you, know, you could have the best theology and still not pray, you could give the most amount of money and still people will not get saved. Like we engage with God through prayer. Before there's ever a great work of God, there's always a community of people calling upon him. Like there's always people set apart. When you read the book of Acts, there's always people gathered together in a room praying. God moves, God answers prayer. The Lord shows up in a powerful way. And there really seems to never be a great work of God without prayer. Amen? There will never be a great work of God without prayer. God's like waiting for us to call upon him. God longs for us to talk to him. I mean, God wants us to join him in this mission of seeking to save and, and that which is lost. And I think about this and go, wow, it doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how many people we have serving. It doesn't matter how big things are. We don't, we don't need those things for there to be success. Success starts, begins with and ends with prayer. Just saying, God, we believe you. We're going to take you at face value. Like we actually so believe you, we're going to call upon you, maybe in ways we haven't called upon you. When we gather, we're actually going to believe what we're praying, who we're praying to, that you're a faithful God who hears us, that you actually want to save people more than we do, and we get to join you in this. My thing is, I honestly believe now more than ever, we need people dedicated to prayer. Again, we, like we see the church. It can have so, we can have the new methods, the best worship, the best whatever. It doesn't matter. We need people dedicated to prayer for the gospel to go out. And so I just believe God motivates us this way, inspires us, leads us, directs us. And so Paul just breaks out into a prayer for these people. So as we just walk this text, and, and pretty simply, because I want to even end our time with prayer and communion, and not just a teaching on this, but like, let's engage in this. So as we walk through our text, I will break it up, uh, verse 9 through 13. So here's kind of the three points today. Number one is this. We see him pray with passion and persistence, night and day. We see him pray with purpose. He's very intentional. And then we see him pray with persistence 
perspective in light of Jesus' return. All right, so first point, pray with passion and persistence. Here's something we see Paul do very clearly in verse 9 and 10. Read again verse 9. Pray with passion and persistence. Verse 9, Paul says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Listen, pray with passion and persistence. This phrase, we pray most earnestly night and day. We pray most earnestly night and day. Now, I don't think Paul necessarily was praying all the time, but I do also think he was very specific and intentional with his times of prayer. Because the question is, like, was he literally praying, like, night and day for just this church? Like, what does that look like? Uh, most people believe this phrase, he's praying night and day, means he has designated times of prayer. Just times where he says, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I actually have this in my schedule. That prayer is not an afterthought. Like, if I have time, I will get to it. But night and day, that this is something so important to him, he goes, I'm putting it in my schedule, night and day. Listen, we need to pray with passion and persistence. I want, I want this point to stick for, for a little bit. I think if maybe you've had a similar experience, maybe not. But I feel like for me, for many years, growing up in the church, the idea of putting prayer on my schedule seemed very religious to me. It seems like, no, 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 you don't do that. Like, that's just, that's like religious people do. Like, I'll pray when I want to. Like, I'll, I'll pray first thing in the morning, that's about it. And the idea, I think, for me is like, putting it in your schedule maybe sounded a little bit too much, like too religious. I want to say this. There's something beautiful about saying, God, I'm giving you priority. I'm giving you time in my schedule. You know, we got to know that Jesus had these rhythms of prayer. Jesus was incredibly disciplined in prayer. Think about this. Jesus himself was disciplined in his prayer life. I'm going to throw up a few verses just so you can kind of read this and stay with me. But uh, it says this in Mark chapter 1. It says, In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Luke 5. He often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. Uh, Matthew 14. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. I, I want you to see that this obviously was incredibly important to Jesus. Like in his schedule, it says he often withdrew himself. He's like, I need to get away. I need to get away from the pace of life. I need to put this in my schedule. Maybe he's a prayer all night. This was so important that he like literally put this into his life. You know, one author says, if you, want to experience the life, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience Jesus in the ways that, if you want to experience God the Father the ways that Jesus did, how do we adopt his lifestyle? How do we adopt like, his rhythms of prayer? I think this is so beautiful. I learned from, the, obviously, the person of Jesus and the way he prayed. He often withdrew himself. If Jesus found it important, how much more us? You know, I was at LA Fitness this week. Uh, I think it was like Wednesday. It was like 4.30, I, I got there, and I wanted to play basketball for a little bit. I played like a little pickup. Uh, I leave the, to the, you know, our little pickup to get a drink from the water fountain. And off in the corner, like d down by the woman's bathroom, there's just a guy facing the wall. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it's just the woman's is kind of the last thing there. I'm going to drink. My head's on the water fountain. I'm looking at this guy just standing in the corner. I'm like, okay, this guy's going like, to murder someone. A little freaked out. He's just standing there in the corner. And then I look below his feet, and below his feet are about like five or six white paper towels. He just put them out, white paper towels. And then he gets on his knees and he starts praying. And I realize, oh, he's praying east. He's praying towards Mecca. It's five o'clock. It's the time to pray. I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East. We've been to like Jordan and, and Egypt and Israel and some of those places. And when you hear that call to prayer go out and you see people stop what you're doing, maybe pull over. They'll actually get out of the car on the side of the road. They'll put their prayer mat down. They'll face towards Mecca and they'll pray. And I was looking at this guy as I'm getting some water. I'm going, wow, it's five o'clock. Here I am playing basketball and he's praying. I'm just like, good for you. But, you know, I'm watching him pray and I'm thinking to myself, I used to view that 
as just like, wow, that's just religious. He doesn't really care. It's not really meaningful. That's just something he has to do because he's, you know, he's very religious. I think I've, I've, heard, I've missed out on just the, the importance of prioritizing prayer. You know, it's interesting how we can look at maybe some, some Muslim people around the world and go, wow, they're so dedicated to prayer five times a day in their schedule. I used to kind of, again, like I said, look down on that, mock that, and say, what, what is that? Rather than saying, wow, they actually are really dedicated to prayer. Now, we might disagree about God, and we obviously don't believe we worship the same God. We might disagree on some major things, but the idea that it is so in their schedule is so important, and the idea that it is so prioritized to them is something I go, God, help us, the church today, value prayer, not as an afterthought, but just as a priority. I really think as Paul says, night and day, night and day, meaning I would love for us, again, not to view prayer as like something you do if you have the time. But this is something we so value, we have to make it a part of our lifestyle. Like this, this has to be a part of who we are. Richard Foster is an author who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines. Here's what he said about prayer. He says, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. He goes, this is so important. It's the discipline that teaches you just to be with the Father, just to sit at the feet of the Father, to enjoy him. It says in Luke chapter 18, Jesus, he's about to give a parable, and it says in Luke 18 verse 1, Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Actually, the author gives us, here's the purpose of the parable. And if you remember, it was the, the parable of the persistent widow. But he's basically there's a parable Jesus gave that we'd always pray and not lose heart. Listen, this obviously matters to God. I think that for us, again, I want this not to be religious and just like this is something we have to do as much as no, but we value it so much, we're going to prioritize it. Here's my encouragement to you guys. It's a practical thing. How can you start small? Like two minutes, three minutes, just when you first wake up. Maybe you go outside, you get your blood flowing so you're not like sleeping in bed. But maybe you just take a minute or two and just go, God, I'm here. Speak to me. God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to praise you for who you are. Just how do we get it like in our, at lunch? We go, you know what? I can take five minutes of my lunch break just to pray. How do we just get it a part of our lifestyle? If Paul is like night and day. I earnestly am praying for you, night and day. Listen, he says this, and I thought this was so interesting, verse 10. He says, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face. You know, here's what's interesting. The issue with Paul is Paul wasn't with the Thessalonians. Paul actually didn't get to see them face to face. Paul was run out of Thessalonica. So Paul's like, you know what? I'm not seeing you face to face. I'm praying that God would open the door that I can see you face to face. But until then, I'm praying. Here's kind of the point. Um, there are going to be times in our life where we're not always able to be there physically, but obviously we can be there in prayer. I think this is so profound for us. If you've ever been a part of like a family loss or tragedy or someone you care about, you can't be with them in person, you can't hug them, but know what you can do, you can pray. And I think that sometimes we may downplay that. Paul's not downplaying that. It's a beautiful thing when you say, you know what, I know I can't be, I can't be everywhere. I, I can't be everywhere at once, but you know what, I can pray. I can be there for them in this unique way of prayer. Paul says that we might see them face to face. And here's what he's praying for. Verse 10, look again. He says, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Um, I want to point this out. The Thessalonians were doing good. They're growing in their faith. Like they're, they're enjoying each other. They're enjoying the Lord. They're loving on people well. But Paul still points out, he goes, you know what? We're praying that we can come and help what is lacking in your faith. There's still areas to grow in. I think this is very helpful. If you go to the doctor, right? You don't want the doctor. If something's like off a little bit, you don't no, you're fine, you're fine. You're like, you're sure I'm good? Like, no, no, you're good. Like, you actually, like, no, please, like, tell me what is off. I feel off. Something might be off. What is lacking? Paul's like, you know what? We want to see your faith grow. We want to come alongside. Yes, you're doing well, but we want to come alongside and help. Again, this is so necessary. There are all areas in our life where we can grow in. 
Like we all have areas where you say, I can grow in this area in my life. You know, if you ever think you arrived in the faith yet, we obviously haven't. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. The point is, there's all these, these areas in our life where you and I can grow. And faith is like a muscle. If you think about working out your muscles, like I got, can't just do it once. I got to use it. I got to exercise it. And Paul's like, you know what? I want to see your faith just grow. And this is what Paul's doing. Paul is letting the needs of these people draw him to prayer. And I want to say this. It is okay to pray for your needs. One way I try to write down is let your needs and others' needs drive you to prayer. Let me just say this. You might not be the most disciplined person. There might be seasons in your life where you go, I've just been lazy in my prayer life. You know, God will use disciplined prayer life. And I, I encourage us to get that in our life and our schedule. But here's the thing. Um, you might not be the most disciplined, but you, you and I are desperate. Like I say, we need to learn to be desperate. That you say, there's needs, like there's lack. I say, God uses those desperate prayers and God uses desperation to draw us to prayer. That's not always a bad thing. Like if there's needs in your life, I mean, there is, like let that draw you to prayer. Paul is basically saying, what is lacking is, is your faith and I want to see that grow. And I want to see it develop. Peter said this way, cast all of your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know what's interesting? Paul didn't let the, the bad news of not being with them face to face quench his prayer. It actually fueled his prayer. Paul didn't let the good news that they're doing well in their faith quench his prayer. It actually drove him to prayer. What I want to point out is like usually when there's bad news, sometimes we can withdraw from prayer. Like where is God? Or when there's good news, we get very confident. And we go, I don't need to pray. Things are going well. Paul didn't let the bad news of not being with them or the good news of them growing keep him from prayer. There is something about saying whether good things are happening in my life or bad things. Like I'm, I'm going to use this. I'm going to, this can be fuel for me to be driven to prayer. Here's the first thing again. Paul says we pray earnestly night and day. Church, I would love for us to be a church, a church that is passionate, that is, that is persistent in our prayer. That this is not an afterthought. This is not something we do if we have time. That we, we join Paul in saying, yes, earnestly, night and day, that we would actually have this rhythm in our lives of prayer. Number two, Paul goes on to say this. He shows us what he's praying for in verse 11 and 12. And in, in verse 11, Paul says this. He says, now, verse 11, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Here's what he's doing. He's praying with purpose. He gets very specific now of his requests. Um, I want to put it this way. When you pray, don't just make general statements. Pray specifically. There's something about when we pray, we can make these big general statements like, God, bless our day. Help this person. I want to say, get specific. What do you want blessed about your day? Like, how God helped this person. Here's how you could help this person. Paul begins to become very specific. Now, there's two parts to this. Notice first how he dresses God as Father and Jesus as Lord. He lets the character and nature of God really drive his prayer. When you and I pray, I would encourage you to keep in mind who it is you're talking to. Let the character and nature of God drive you and I to prayer. David Platt says prayer is not first about getting something, it's about knowing someone. Paul's point here is God your Father, Jesus your Lord. There is the Trinity kind of addressed in, in prayer. Just knowing God. Who is God? God is Father, Jesus is Lord. Both are objects of the prayer. Ben Witherington, one of those classic famous Greek scholars, points this out. He says, verse 11 begins with the mention of God the Father and the Lord Jesus in tandem. And it is to be stressed that this wish, wish prayer is directed to both. Both are viewed as proper objects of prayer, which is to say that both are viewed as part of the Godhead. Paul, is no, he knows who he's praying to. He knows who he's talking to. 
It's not about first, again, just making your request known. It's first about knowing God. Who is it that you and I are talking to? Like, who are we addressing here? I want us, again, to understand the character and nature of God. I think what keeps us back from prayer is maybe we have this a shallow view of God. You know, again, Tozer talks about just that idea, that the biggest issue in life is not a social problem, it's not a, a political problem, it's a theological problem. Like, the biggest issue in life that you and I see is that we don't know who God is. We don't know who it is we're praying to. We don't know who it is we're talking to. When you think about all the issues in life, we can try to break it down and say this economic problem, it's a social problem, it's a political problem. No, no, it's a theological problem. We need to know God. We need to know who it is that you and I are addressing and praying to. Uh, David Mathis says, Our asking and pleading and requesting originate not from our emptiness, but his fullness. Prayer doesn't begin with our needs, but with his bounty. Its origin is first in adoration and only later in asking. Just knowing who it is you're talking to. That God is a bountiful God. He says, we talk to you, God as Father, and Jesus, you as Lord. We know it is who we're talking to. We know it is who we're addressing. That God wants to give richly and freely all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says. That God's like, I, just know who I am. Know who it is you're talking to in this moment. Don't downplay your view of God as you, you address God. He's saying we need to know in this moment who it is the, the character, the nature of God. But I want to get specific. In verse 12, he's going to God, we pray that you just grow them in love for one another and for all. And his specific request is love. Now, again, here's why I'm pointing this out. We do need to be specific when we pray. There's something beautiful when you make your request known to God, and not in a general way, but in a very specific way. You know, two years ago, I was talking to my son. It's like bedtime. He's laying in bed. And I'm like, Micah, will you pray tonight? You know, we, we pray for him. We try to get him to pray. We try to like, you know, kind of switch it up sometimes. And he goes, Dad, Dad, can I actually tell you my secret prayer? I'm like, sure, dude. Like, what's your secret prayer? And I wrote it down because it's so good. He goes, here's my secret prayer. He goes, come here. I'm like, yeah. He goes, thank you for everything in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm like, that's your secret prayer? He goes, that's my secret prayer. I'm like, why? He's like, it covers everything. Like, like, he's like, I covered all of my bases, right? Like, I just say thank you for everything in the world. Like, I don't think it's specific. All right, let's avoid that. I, I love that. It's like so sweet to him. Like, in his mind, it's a beautiful, pure thing. Um, but let's get specific. We can be like that. Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Jesus, thank you for everything in the world. Like, we can speak generally, but it's also really good to get specific. The word supplication just actually means being, like, specific. Let your, it says in Philippians 4 to pray always, and, and it says to make your supplications known to God. It just means your specific prayers, like your specific requests known. And so this is it. Paul's like, God, I'm just praying that they abound in love. I mean, there's really nothing greater that you and I could pray for. I mean, you think about prayer reflecting the character and nature of God, obviously God being love. And he said, I just want us to be people of love. I want the Thessalonians to be marked and known by their love. That their enemies, they might disagree with them, but they see that they are loving people. That love is not based off someone's worthiness. Love is just given because, God, you freely give love. You know, this is what's so beautiful about the gospel. Obviously, the gospel is this. You and I were not, like, super lovable. The gospel's not like, oh my gosh, like we had all these things going for us. So God's like, all right, I'm gonna love you now because you're pretty cool. Like we can be really picky and choosy with our love. Sometimes we're like, oh, that person, I don't know if I like them. Maybe they're not worthy of my love. Like we kind of base love sometimes off of maybe their character, their nature, who they are, what they're like. I don't really know if I should give my love. Here's when it comes to the gospel. Love has nothing to do with our worthiness of being loved. 
God is just loving, so he loves, right? And what I love about this for you and I is as followers of Jesus, we don't give our love just maybe haphazardly, like, oh, maybe I'll love them. No, we give our love freely, generously. You think of the gospel, Jesus calls God Father, and this is so unique. Listen, this is so unique. It's so life-changing. No, you don't see in, in Genesis through Malachi, you don't see God being addressed as Father. You don't. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, when you pray, say our Father in heaven. I want you to understand that is incredibly offensive and to them, maybe it's a lack of respect towards God. They're like, no, you don't call God Father. Because remember, even the, the title God, Elohim, or the, really his name, Yahweh, we don't have his name. When it comes to like the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, it's like YHVH or YHWH in Hebrew. We don't have the name of God. Because to them, his name was so holy. And Jesus comes on the scene, he goes, oh, you mean Father? Yeah, Father. Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, this is how you talk to God, our Father. And that was incredibly offensive to that Jewish mindset. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, don't you get who it is you're talking to? He's not just some distant God who doesn't care about you. He's Father. See, Jesus called God Father every single time he prayed except for once. The one time Jesus did not call God Father was when? It was on the cross. When he said what? He's echoing Psalm 22, Psalm 22 and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time we see Jesus praying and not calling God Father is on the cross. See, Jesus' relationship with God was, Jesus, you're my Father. On the cross, he just says, My God. Because on that moment, on the cross, the sin of the world, the weight of the world placed on the shoulders of Jesus. The sin of the world placed on Jesus. And he goes, you know, at this moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus calls him my God so that you and I can call him Father. Jesus says, you know what? He's my Father, but the sin of the world placed on me, he's your Father. My righteousness given to you. You see, we pray in Jesus' name because he is our access to the Father. It's not just a magic phrase we tag on a prayer like, in Jesus' name. No, no, we come to God the Father in the name of Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. I think that when we use this, like even now, I still say, in Jesus' name, amen, and it can be kind of out of habit or routine. And it's like, no, no, when I say that phrase in Jesus' name, it's that reminder like, wow, God, I only have access to you as Father because of Jesus. In his name, I have access to you in this intimate and unique way as Father. In Jesus' name, I come to you. In Jesus' name, I have access to you. In Jesus' name, you're my Father. Because Jesus said on that cross, my God, my God, now I can call you Father. You see, we come to him in Jesus' name. And this is such a beautiful thing. So Paul actually twice in verse 11 and 13, he says, God as Father and Jesus as Lord. This is directing how he prays. It's, it's making it very specific. We want them to abound in love because ultimately this is the greatest reflection of the gospel. Ultimately, God, because you've loved us when we were unlovable. That God, you loved me when I was at my worst. That God demonstrated his love towards us while I was literally at my worst, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And he's saying, God, this is what I'm praying for, that these, these Thessalonians just abound in love. This is what we want to see in their lives. He was very purposeful in how he prayed. And just here's the last point today, honestly. And I want us to give us some perspective, and it has the point. Number three, it's he's praying with perspective. He's praying in light of the return of Jesus. He's praying with this mindset that Jesus is coming back, and I want to see you ready. Look at verse 13. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He goes, this is what I want to see. When Jesus comes again, I want to see you blameless before him. 
I want to see you be able to stand up before him, not with shame, but blameless. In holiness, I want to see you stand before him. You know, John, towards the end of his life, said something very similar. In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. I want you to see this. He goes, It's not yet been revealed what we shall, shall be. I love this. When it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to us being in, like, before God, it's like, what will we be able to do? Like, what will we be like? Can we like, walk through walls like Jesus? Can like, Jesus ascend into heaven? Can we fly? I don't know. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know this. We shall be like him. Why? We shall see him as he is. And then John says this beautiful phrase. He goes, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. He says, if you have the hope of Jesus' return, it leads to a purity and change in your life. Listen, if you have a hope that Jesus is coming again, it does something to you, not out of fear, but out of love. For so much of my Christian life, the return of Jesus was kind of like motivated by fear. It did some fearful things in me. Like I thought I had to be good because like Jesus is coming back and I better be good. It's almost like Santa Claus. Like he's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out he's gonna I was like freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta be ready for this. And it was like motivated out of fear. No, no, this is a motivation that comes from love. And here, here's why. When you're about to go on a date with someone, right? Maybe you're married, you have a date night or dating someone. Remember the feelings of kind of like going on a date with someone? The idea is like you kind of purify yourself. You're like, oh my gosh, we're on a date. Like I'm so excited to be with this person. I'm gonna take a shower for the first time in a month. I don't know. Like I'm gonna like put it on deodorant. I'm gonna trim my nose. I'm gonna do all these things. Why? Like you're purifying yourself because you cannot wait for the, the return or the coming of this person to be with them. The idea was not like I better get things right because I'm so scared of my, spending my time with them. The idea was like, I cannot wait to get my life in order and right. I cannot wait to purify this moment so I can be with him and like purity and wholeness. And this is the idea of Jesus' return. It's not so much this fearful thing. Like, oh, Jesus is coming. Oh my gosh, I gotta get like, no. It's like, oh wow, my, the one who I love is coming. I cannot wait for this date night. <laughs> I cannot wait for me to just be reunited or united with him. I just cannot wait for that. Everyone who has this hope, the hope of Jesus is revealing, purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, it does something to you. It's, it's, again, not motivated out of fear, but out of love. And again, for so long in the Christian life, we forget that perfect love casts out all fear. I think we forget that, like, the coming of Jesus is not some fearful thing for a believer. It's not some dreadful day. It's this beautiful day. It's that wedding day. It's that day you're with the one you love. And he goes, listen, I just want to see you Thessalonians blameless. I want to see you in holiness at the coming of Jesus with all of his holy ones, verse 13. Paul is praying for them with perspective. It's interesting. When you change your prayer life with heaven in mind, with eternity in mind, it changes how you pray and it changes what you pray for. Because in reality, what do I want for my kids? You know, you think about this. I'm about to have another one. I go, I was talking to someone recently. Like, I don't know if I want kids. I'm like, why? Like, the world is so evil. And I don't want to bring them into this evil world. I'm like, I, I actually, I get that. But then there's a thought of me like, but I want to have a world changer. Like, I want to have someone who doesn't just participate in evil or get like, drawn into it, but someone who says, I'm going to come and join Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost. Like, I want to have a light bringer. Yes, this is a dark world. Yes, this is a, a wicked world. I get it. But we need more people who want to bring light into this darkness. My, my point being, when I pray with eternity in mind, it's like, I don't care what they do for a living. It's like, you can have any career, any job. Do they love Jesus? Like, will they be with him on that last day? Will they stand before him and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Like, the, the point being, when I think about my kids, when I think about our church, I don't care like, what it is occupationally or what it, those things. I just want you to be with Jesus. I want to pray with heaven in mind. When we do an outreach, 
when we do any sort of way to like reach and love and serve our community? How do we do this with just heaven in mind that Jesus is coming? And this is a beautiful thing. This is not something to fear, but it's just something to welcome and embrace and long for and look for. We're told to be looking and longing for the coming of Jesus. And we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks. But just the idea of like this hopeful expectation of being with the one you love. And you see, if you have this hope, it leads to purity. Paul's like, I'm just praying that you can stand before him blameless. I love, I love again, that phrase in First John. He goes, everyone who sees him as he is. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. You know, I think about this. So often I want to see Jesus, like, back in, like, the Bible, like, the Gospels. Like, I want to see Jesus born in the stable. Like, I want to see that. Like, I want to see Jesus with the disciples, like, hanging out, like, making jokes. I want to see that. Like, I would love to see Jesus, like, in Galilee, doing his thing, healing people, performing miracles, feeding thousands of people. Like, I want to see that. But know what's crazy? I get to see something better than that. I don't see Jesus in that way. I see Jesus as he is. Not with the crown of thorns, but with the crown of crowns. Not with a reed, but with a scepter. I see Jesus as he is, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The idea that you and I will see him as he is, we get to see him better than the moment of Galilee. We just see him better than in Jerusalem being mocked and ridiculed and spat on and just whipped and put on the cross. We get to see him, not in that moment, but we get to see him as he truly is, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He goes, you know what that day? When that day comes, you'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. It does something to us. Again, it produces something within us. I want to say this, pray with perspective. Right now, you might be praying for things that really just don't matter. I'm not saying don't pray for those things. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you care about those little details. I'm so thankful that God cares about all those little things. Sometimes I feel like it's too petty to bring to God. God's like, bring it to me. I love that. Like he cares for our cares. But I also, at the same time, want to remind you and encourage you, pray with perspective. Not just a small, like those, those are beautiful. God cares about that. But pray in light of eternity. Pray for your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers in light of eternity. Like, God, you are coming. You are going to rule and reign. You're going to right the wrongs. We're going to see justice. This, everything that everyone's looking for, we're going to see fulfilled and found in you. True justice, true peace, true shalom, true harmony. And pray with that perspective of Jesus. I want people to know you now on this side of history. I want them to see you now. I want them to believe in you now, trust in you now. It does something. When you pray with perspective, it will definitely change how you and I pray. See, listen to this. Paul was praying for things he did not have the power to do. Paul's praying that to be holy and blameless. Paul's praying for things he cannot do within the Thessalonians. This is a great reminder to you and I. Pray for things that you do not have the power to do. You know, I, again, I can fall into this trap of praying for things that I can maybe do on my own. And then when it's done, it's like, oh, I, I did it. I didn't do that. Pray for things that are just outside of your control. Pray for salvation for somebody like that. God could never save them. Pray for that person then. Like pray for things that you feel like just it can never happen. It'll never be done. Paul was praying for things that he had no power to do, but yet he trusted that God would do this. And I, and I love this. Prayer is that. Prayer is like, God, this is out of my hands. It's out of my control. I want to pray for, only you can right now intervene. Only you could get the credit and glory. I don't want to pray for things I can do because I don't want to have the, the temptation of getting the credit and glory. Let's pray for things that only God could do. Like, let's pray for God to save and reach and do things in South Florida through other churches, through other people, through other individuals, through our church, and go, wow, God, I could never do that. We could never get the glory. We could never get the credit. I want to pray for things that only God can get the glory and credit for. Paul's praying for things that only God can get the glory and credit for. Amen? Listen, this is a simple little message. Paul's praying with passion, 
He's being persistent. He's praying with purpose, and he's praying with the perspective, Jesus is coming again. I want to see you ready. I want to see you holy and blameless at his coming. I mean, there's no greater joy than knowing my kids, no, no greater joy than knowing our church body will be standing before Jesus and just hearing, well done. But let's pray for that. We need to pray for that. That is something I cannot do. I want to see you stand before, the God, for God, before God holy and blameless at his coming. Listen, what we're going to do right now, and I just want to not get distracted still, is we are going to take communion. And communion, as 1 Corinthians talks about it, it's this time where you can examine yourselves. It's this time where you can give thanks to God. It's this time where you can just be honest with God in prayer. It's this time where you can say, God, I am so far from where I need to be, but thank you for the body and blood of Jesus, that by your stripes we are healed. Thank you for the shedding of blood because there's forgiveness of sins found in your blood, Jesus. This is a time for you to be honest with God. Thank him, praise him, confess, talk to him. And here's what I love, and I want to connect the dots. Just stay with me. Paul said this way in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Here's what Paul says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Paul is saying, I want to see you at the coming of Jesus, holy and blameless. Communion is a time where it reminds us, Jesus, I'm eating this, but one day I'll eat this with you. I partake of the bread. I partake of this wine or the juice. <laughs> I partake of this to remind myself that one day I will have a marriage feast with you. Until you come, Jesus, I'm going to celebrate your death. Until you come, Jesus, I'm going to remind myself, remind in just prayer, talk to you about my holiness is found in your holiness. My blamelessness comes from you being blameless. My righteousness comes from your righteousness. And this is what communion does. It's a reminder to you and I that you and I are far from where we need to be, but Jesus was the answer and is the answer still to this day, that he is the sacrifice who is slain before the foundations of the world, that he is that Passover lamb, that by his blood, by the shedding of his blood, there is forgiveness of sins. And so I just want to eat and take this and just remember, we're taking this until he comes. We do this until he comes, until one day we do it again with him in heaven. And Paul lastly said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a time to remember I'm doing this till Jesus comes and I'm going to examine myself. God, where am I at with you? Do I even believe in this? Do I even believe that your body was broken for me? Your blood was shed for me? Do I believe this? Maybe you do not believe this. Maybe you've never believed on Jesus. I would say believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. That I love the simplicity of, of the gospel. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that you believe and receive the free gift of salvation that is found in the person of Jesus. That we're told as many as received him, the, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Receive Jesus. Believe on him. If you do not believe on Jesus, there's no need to take communion. There's no need to celebrate or remember the death and the, and the resurrection of Jesus. There's no need to take that if you do not believe in him. But if you go, no, no, I need him. I believe in him. Then take and eat. We do this until he comes. We remind ourselves that Jesus, by your stripes, were healed. So listen, here's what I want to do. I just want to turn this kind of room into just a house of prayer. You know, I want to turn this time into communion, and let's just pray. You know, we do a lot of Bible studies. We go through God's word. But in reality, like, we are a church that has to be committed to prayer. And so we're going to pass. You have communion. We're going to play some music. We're going to worship the Lord. And I'm just going to ask that you take some time and just pray. Talk to God. Thank God. Praise God. Remind yourself of who he is, of what he's done. So I'm going to pray right now. And then, again, when you are ready, you can take, eat, and drink. And I'll come back up here and close in prayer. But let's just do that now. Father, we want to thank you. We want to praise you. Jesus, we realize that we have no access to the Father except through you. That, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. 
And Lord, we are here to celebrate that, that we can, in your name, Jesus, come to the Father, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and that we can receive grace and mercy in time of need. And God, I thank you that you care for our cares. I thank you that we can make our requests known to you. But God, I just ask that you would give us perspective today, that life is short, eternity is long, that God, we need you in just every moment. We need to live for truly what matters. God, I ask that you just give us a focus, a passion, a persistence, and just calling upon you. God, I pray that everyone in this place, that we would not view this as, okay, we heard a message on prayer and then just forget it throughout the week. God, I ask that you would just write this on our hearts, that God, we would be dedicated to just these moments carving out space in our week to seek you, to call upon you, that God, we, we would just join you, that we realize and know that nothing will happen without prayer. Nothing will happen without you, God, doing that. And you're, you're waiting for people to call upon you. So Lord, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for communion. We want to thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed. So God, would you just fill this room? God, any, any hurting, just people, any needs, any brokenness, Jesus, that you'd restore? God, anyone who just feels distant from you, that in this time of communion, they just sense that, God, you are near? that Jesus, we would boast and rest just in the finished work of the cross and say, it is finished. We just want to say, thank you, Jesus. There is no one like you, Lord. We just praise you. God, we just ask again that you'd move, that it just lead to purity. Just the thought of your coming, Jesus, would do something within us. Lord, we love you. We just want to praise you now in your name, Jesus. And guys, when you're ready, take, eat, and drink. Spend some time in prayer. We're going to worship and we're going to take communion.
Father, we just want to thank you that, again, our sins are forgiven because of the cross. We thank you, God, that we can come to you. God, I just ask that you would, again, speak to the, everyone in this place. I know we wrestle with maybe the idea that if we, are, we are forgiven, we are free, that Jesus, you've set us free. Uh, Lord, I ask, God, that we would be a people, again, that don't just occasionally just come to you in prayer, God, but that we'd be dedicated, that we would, we would be passionate about this. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the reminder that communion is, God, that it is finished, it is done. That, Jesus, we would carry out our week with this just the forefront of our minds, God, that you have paid it all. So we thank you, Jesus. We just want to praise you. God, I ask that you'd bless the people their week ahead. God, that you'd fill them with your spirit, that we'd reach out in prayer, that we would just, we'd just slow down. We'd slow down enough where we can hear from you. We just ask this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen.